Well, my name is Adam. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church Parker. And like every week, just want to welcome you. Uh, thank you for being here. We always consider it an honor to have you join us for worship. Uh, when you walked in this morning, you were handed what we call a worship guide. And uh, if you look at the front of it, you'll notice that it says something pretty basic, simple. It says worship. Um, because we're in week three of a new series uh, that we're doing on the subject of worship. You know, that's a pretty popular Christian term that gets thrown out in Christian circles and in church. Um, but we wanted to spend some time, slow down a little bit, and really define what we mean when we say worship. And talk about what worship is and what it isn't. And how it impacts our life. And talk about um, some of the big concepts surrounding it. Like, uh, like who is the God that we worship. And, and um, so, so we're, we're in week three of that. And if you were here last week, um, we kind of talked some really big topics. Um, and, and we looked very broadly at the God we worship. And the fact that our God is. And that was our big point last week. Our God is. Now, so many times we want to fill in the blank, right? Our, our God is love. Our God is awesome. Our God is just. Our God is merciful. We want to fill in the blank, but we stopped last week just to, to, to think for a moment that our God is. And He's bigger than our ability, our mind's ability to understand. And He's far more uh, than we can ever put in a box. We we can talk about characteristics of God, but our God is greater than, than anything that, that we can describe. And for us to properly worship, we need to understand how awesome and how big our God is. Um, so last week was kind of big, uh, a lot of big ideas. Um, and then here's what I need to say to you today. Um, we're talking about um, an, a, a very important doctrine within the world of Christianity, um, and today we're talking about the Trinity. Um, and, and I just need to let you know, as we get started, um, this is another one of those topics that forces you to think. Okay? Many of you are no longer in school, but today you just enrolled. Okay? Um, because we're going, to, we're going to think today. We're going to think deeply, and we're going to, to talk about who our God is um, and so when we began this series, uh, we began with the definition of worship. When we say worship, what do we mean? Um, and so for the last two weeks, we've been working with this definition. Uh, and we're going to put it up on the screen again for us to look at um, this morning. And so when we say worship, we mean, uh, and we're talking about living in and responding to the presence and the person of the triune God. And today we're talking about what we mean when we say triune God, what do we mean when we say um, or talk about the Trinity? Um, many centuries ago, um, one, of the, one of the most popular, one of the biggest Christian theologians um, from about 1,500 years ago, um, his name is Augustine, uh, he said this about the Trinity, um, Try to deny the Trinity and you'll lose your soul. Try to explain the Trinity and you'll lose your mind. Um, so with that being said, um, let me pray for you and for me as we start talking about that this morning. Okay, uh, Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this time that we have together. And Father, we want to honor you. 
Jesus, we want to, um, we want to be sensitive to uh, what you're speaking to us today. And Holy Spirit, we want to be aware of how you're moving. And I pray that what's said and what's thought and what's read brings you great honor this morning. And that you would help us to understand a little bit more of who you are and how you've revealed yourself to be. Lord, we love you and pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, so why do this? Why talk about these big topics? Um, why do we have to have a seminary type lecture um, this Sunday? Why do, we, why do we need to stop and talk about these difficult things? Um, well, let me, re- let me read you something. Titus 2.1. It was written by the Apostle Paul, um, the same guy who wrote Philippians that we spent 20 weeks walking through his book. And he was instructing a young pastor who was overseeing his church. And one of the things that he tells him in Titus 2.1 is he says, Teach what is according to sound doctrine. Um, As a church, we have a mandate uh, to think rightly about God. Um, We have a mandate to talk about hard topics. And although if you're new with us, maybe this is your first week or... Maybe unlucky you, this is your second week and last week was your first week. Um, Not always do we spend so much time talking about deep topics and really forcing ourselves to think. We always want to think, we always want to be challenged. Um, But it's important for us to take these moments every so often uh, and really think deeply. Uh, Here's also what I want to say before we move any further. Um, We don't teach the doctrine of the Trinity because it's simple because it's straightforward, or because it's easy to understand. We teach the doctrine of the Trinity because that is how God has revealed himself to be in Scripture. Um, And so what do we say when we mean Trinity? Uh, This is what we mean when we use the word Trinity. Um, We mean that there is one God who eternally exists in three persons. One God who eternally exists in three persons. Um, You know, all of us and everyone in this world, not just Christians, not just people who are in this church or in a church today, uh, people around the world have deep, deep longings. We long for love. We long for relationships. We long for communication. Um, And if you think about it, how many of our technological advances are centered around that deep longing and need? Um, How many of our technological advances are are really centered around making it easier for us to connect with people, making it easier for us to uh, meet people or establish relationships or keep connected with the relationships we already have? And that's because we were created in the image of God. And because God is a God who loves and communicates and speaks and is in relationship. And we serve one God who eternally exists in three persons. When we say persons, here's what we mean. We mean that they feel, think, act, and speak. Okay? But we don't mean that they're human persons. Um, One of the challenges that we'll have today and one of the challenges that we wrestle with when we talk about the Trinity is trying to project 
our understanding of reality and life onto God. Um, so many times um, we talk about God in human terms because it makes it easier for us to understand. And there's nothing wrong with that, um, especially as a source of analogy or to, to make communication more clear. You know, when God does something, we talk about the hand of God. Um, when it comes to the Trinity, when we start talking about not what God does, but who is God, it becomes easy for us to try to project human understandings and human um, characteristics onto God. And so that'll be a challenge for us today as we move forward, as we talk about this just a little bit, um, is for us to not project our understanding of person in, in so much as a human term onto God. And so when we say Trinity, we're talking about that we serve one God who eternally exists in three persons. And we're going to look at the Bible and look at some scriptures and kind of talk about where we get that idea as we're moving forward. When we say God, that each is equally God, um, here's what we mean. Um, that they equally share the all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present qualities of being God. And so when we say one God in three persons, we say persons because they think, act, speak, and feel. Uh, when we talk about them all three equally being God, we talk about them sharing the same essence of what it means to be God, the all-knowing, all-powerful parts of what it means to be God. Um, before we move again further, here's what I'll, another note I want to make. Um, sometimes in an effort to understand this difficult topic, um, we come up with human analogies to help make it easier. Uh, and sometimes they actually create more confusion than, than do they bring solution. Um, and so what we need to be careful is what we're, be clear about what we're not saying. We're not saying that there's one God who plays three different roles. Almost like he changes a mask where he wears the Father God mask and then he switches to the Son mask and then he switches to the Holy Spirit mask. Um, We're not talking about one God who just plays three different roles. We're talking about one God who eternally exists into three different persons. And maybe that sounds like a bit of a contradiction to you. And as we move towards the end today, we'll talk about um, why it's not a contradiction. So here's what I want us to look at. Um, what does the Bible have to say about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Um, because here's an argument you may have heard. Um, that nowhere in the Bible do you see the word Trinity. And I'll be the first to confess that is 100% true. Nowhere in the Bible do you see the word Trinity. Like I said, we don't teach this uh, doctrine because it's simple or straightforward or easy. We teach it because that's exactly how God has revealed himself to be. And so point number one for us today um, is that God the Father is God. And I want us to look at two scriptures, and we're going to do these quickly, um, and then we're going to keep moving on, because uh, this is a subject matter that we could literally spend 20 weeks talking about. 
Um, we, we are barely going to be able to scratch the surface. The scriptures I'm going to reference or read today um, are just a portion of the scriptures um, that are found in the Bible that reinforce this doctrine and this teaching. Um, and so if this is something that you want to uh, study further, um, maybe you still are wrestling with it or have questions, um, my big encouragement to you is to search for it, to look into it. Uh, you don't know where to start? Here's a great place to start. Google. All right? Um, I get asked all the time as a pastor, hey, where do I find this scripture? Hey, there's this passage, it talks something about this, or hey, I have a question about this. I'm telling you, Google is a great place to start. Um, sure, there's lots of stuff on the internet that's kooky and crazy, and um, but um, whenever you're wrestling with something, uh, even if it's something with the Bible or spiritual, um, Googling a question or, or going, I know there's a scripture that talks about this, I just don't remember what it is, um, that is a great place to start. And I'd encourage you um, to not allow this just to be the one time you think or talk about it, um, but that you dig in further. So um, point number one, God the Father is God. Here's Two scripture references that I'll give you, and I'm going to give them to you quickly. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says this, Yet for us there is one God, God the Father. Philippians 1, 2. We just spent months studying this book. Paul says as he's opening his letter, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now here's why I'm not going to labor on this point. Uh, pretty much everybody agrees that God the Father is God. All right, there's a lot of crazy people out there. There's a lot of absurd teachings. Um, you know, you can hear all kinds of weird teachings on the internet and radio and, uh, and on television. Um, generally, everyone is pretty okay with uh, God the Father is God. So we're not going to really labor on that point. Here's point number two. Jesus Christ is God. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up to John um, starting in chapter 1. This is going to be on the screen as well. Um, and this is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Go back to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jump down to um, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of, only, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and and truth. Um, in John chapter 8, Jesus is having a uh, religious discussion with some religious leaders. Um, and they're trying to challenge him. And they're referencing Abraham. We've talked about Abraham from the Old Testament, who's one of the, one of the top um, two or three guys in the Jewish Hall of Fame. Um, the Jews loved Abraham because the nation of Israel was started with him, and so many of God's promises were initiated 
uh, through and with Abraham. And so they were talking to Jesus, these religious leaders, um, comparing him to Abraham. And at one point, Jesus starts to get fed up with their excuses. And he says this in verse 58. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I don't know if you were here last week. Last week we spent time talking about who is God and and the fact that our God is. And one of the big texts that we were in last week was an interaction between God the Father and, and a man named Moses. And when Moses starts asking, who are you? What am I supposed to say when people ask me? Who am I supposed to say sent me? And God said, I am. That was his response when Moses says, so who are you? What am I supposed to say? God said, I am. You tell them that I am has sent you because our God is. And so Jesus looks at these religious leaders who are comparing him to Abraham. And he says, listen, Before Abraham was, I am. At that point, the religious leaders got so angry, they picked up stones. They were going to stone Jesus because he had just called himself God. That was one of the reasons why the religious leaders were so angry at him and wanted him dead. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Let's look at another one. Romans 9, 5. Um, talking about um, our God and, and the role of salvation. Paul says this, Christ, who is God over all. And one more I want to read for, for you. 1 John five twenty. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Point number one is God the Father is God. Point number two, Jesus Christ is God. And then point number three, the Holy Spirit is God. If you want to turn with me to 2 Corinthians, you can. Um, it may be easier to just look up on the screen. Second Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I'm going to read you one more. Acts 5, starting in verse 3. Let me give you some context. This is early in the history of the church. Jesus has just died. Uh, He has just risen from the dead ascended back to heaven, and before he left, he promised that as he was going back to heaven, that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. 
Um, that takes place, and when the Holy Spirit comes, great things start happening, and the church is birthed, and starts growing and spreading, and incredible things are happening. Um, a lot of people are getting involved in the church, and a lot of people are giving money to the church because they want to see God continue to grow and move, and, and this huge movement has been started. Uh, well, there's two individuals who wanted some notoriety. They wanted some popularity. They wanted to be a part of this cool movement. But unlike the other people who were part of the movement, they weren't really willing to give their whole lives. They really wanted to be on the inside. They wanted to be in with the crowd. They just didn't want to go all in like everyone else had. And so their time comes when these two individuals, Ananias and Sapphira, um, they sell a piece of property and they bring a portion of the money to the church, which is awesome. Um, that's something that would be celebrated. Uh, the problem is they came in um, bragging and toting that they were bringing in all the profits from the, church, from, the, uh, from the sale of the property to the church, when in reality they had kept a bunch for themselves and only brought a little bit. Um, the problem wasn't that they didn't bring all the money. The problem was that they were lying that they were trying to use and abuse this new movement of God's church and how it was growing at an incredible rate um, to gain some popularity and to benefit themselves. And so in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 3, Peter, who's kind of the head honcho of this church at this time, but Peter said, <clears throat> Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. The point of this is not about selling property and giving money. That's a different message for a different day. What I want you to notice is what happens here. So Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then towards the end, Peter says this, You have not lied to man, but to God. And so over and over and over, um, throughout Scripture, um, we see references to God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit as God. Now, there are literally hundreds of references um, that we could stop and look at. These are just a few examples to kind of give us perspective of what the Bible has to say about God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Um, it's easy to understand God the Father and Jesus Christ as persons. Unfortunately, a lot of times what we do in the Christian world um, is, is we kind of refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, as some kind of force. Um, but the Bible's very clear and references the Holy Spirit as a he, just like the Bible references God the Father and Jesus Christ in the same way. That the Holy Spirit is a person that thinks, acts, feels, speaks. Not person in our human understanding, because God is much bigger and, and far greater than you or I are limited by. But the Bible's very clear. 
that all three are God and share the same essence. And then here's two references that I want to to look at um, that talk about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and their interactions with each other um, and to see how all three come together. Uh, here's, Here's one that you may have heard about before. You may have totally missed it. Um, If you open up to Genesis 1, and we look at the creation of the world, and if it's true that not only God the Father, but Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are co-equally and co-eternally God, then like the Father, they were in existence before the creation of the world. And in talking about creating man, notice what it says. And then God, that singular, said, let us make man in our image. And so from the first page of the Bible, even though we don't get Jesus' name yet, even though we don't get all these clear teachings about the Son and the Spirit, From page one, we get this picture that from the very beginning, God has existed in three persons. Let us make man in our image. And one small portion of that image is our deep longing for relationships, like we talked about earlier. Because from eternity past, God has existed in a relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, for some of you, um, this is a a subject that causes us to wrestle. Um, There's one more reference I want us to look at and then talk about kind of why this matters for you and I. And this is probably the most explicit example in Scripture in Matthew 28. As Jesus has already arisen from the dead and he's about to ascend to heaven, he gives some final instructions to his disciples. Um, I think on the screen it starts in verse 19. I'm going to start reading in verse 18 though. And Jesus came and said to them, talking to his disciples, his closest friends, those who he was going to entrust to carry on the mission of the church, those who he was going to send the Holy Spirit to, um, to help empower them to do what he had called them to do. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so as Jesus' final words, the commandment that he gives to his disciples, um, it's probably one of our clearest, explicit teachings on the Trinity. That when Jesus says, as you go and you teach, as you train, as you see lives transformed by the truth, as a symbol of life change, as a symbol of what has been done, 
You're going to baptize them. And you're going to do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We serve one God who eternally exists in three persons. Now earlier we talked about, for, for some this sounds like a contradiction. Um, it doesn't seem like it could be possible. And the first limit and the first reality that we have to understand is that um, we cannot fully understand God. And that's a good thing. Because a God who can be fully understood and explained is no God that deserves our complete worship and service. For us to worship God and to serve Him means that He has to be infinitely greater than us. Which means that He's going to be difficult to completely understand. And so we have to acknowledge that uh, this is a tough subject. Sometimes it is hard to understand, and it's one that um, we can't always fully explain. Um, for those of you who are terribly logical, and you're trying to wrap your logical mind around this, and you're wanting to know how this can, how, how is this not a contradiction? Um, and so, in order for this not to be a contradiction, all right, then, then it can't break the law of non-contradiction. So we're going to go back to freshman logics class of college. Anybody take that? Nobody? Nobody took freshman logic? You didn't have to? All right, well, well then you can trust me on this. There's, there's a rule that the law of non-contradiction um, which states that something cannot be at the same time it is not. So let's put it this way. I can't say um, that I am A, but also say that I am non-A. Okay, that doesn't make sense. I can't say that the moon is made of cheese, but then also say the moon is not made of cheese. Those are contradictions. Okay? Um, but here's what we have to understand when we talk about the Trinity. Um, we're not comparing when we say God is one, but exists eternally in three persons. We're not comparing apples to apples. Here's a good example that I think we can understand. Um, I don't know if you're a literary fan or if you've read Charles Dickens, but one of his most famous lines it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Now, that could be a contradiction, but it doesn't have to be. If Dickens meant it is the worst of times in the same way that it's the best of times, that would be a contradiction. But you and I don't have a problem with that statement because we understand what he meant. What he meant was, in some ways, it's the worst of times. But in other ways, it's the best of times. When we say that God is one, yet three, it's not a contradiction because we're talking about two different things. The Trinity, God, is one in essence. 
but he is three in person. He is three in person because each, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, have an individual identity. Even in the scriptures, we hear them reference uh, themselves and each other using first and second personal pronouns. So Jesus will say, my Father. Or he'll say, he'll reference himself as I, but he'll reference the Spirit or the Father as you. We see God the Father do the same thing. When he gives commandments and says, I say, and references himself in the first person, and when he talks to Jesus using the second person, you. Three individual identities that think and act and feel and speak. But in essence, they're one. Sharing all the qualities of what it means to be God the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient, all-present characteristics. Three persons, one essence. One essence, God, who, the who, but three in person. I know this is deep and I know this is big. But it's incredibly important for us. And here's why it's important, and here's why it's important for us to talk about it. When we went, if we go back to week one of our series on worship, when we were in John chapter four, and Jesus was having this interaction, and he was teaching this woman, and he was trying to to bridge a gap between him and this woman who was. Um, insecure and full of sin and disconnected and we talked as you remember about barriers to worship one of the barriers that we have in worship uh, in connecting with our God is ignorance just not understanding or knowing the truth and as his conclusion on teaching about worship in John chapter 4 Jesus says this the father is seeking worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. It's important for us to talk about this because the more we understand God, the more we're enabled to worship Him. And I don't just mean sing songs about Him, but I mean live in and respond to who He is and what He's doing. Like our definition said, living in and responding to the presence and the person of the triune God. Most of you in here um, are married, even if you're not and never have been. Um, you've been in relationship before. Um, imagine if you had been married for 5 years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. But you never knew any more about your spouse than what you had learned on your first date. Imagine how shallow your relationship would be. All right? Knowing somebody's first and last name, favorite color, hobbies, and what state they grew up in, that is perfectly acceptable on a first date. But five years into a marriage, if that's all that you know about the person, 
how deep is your relationship? How much of a quality relationship is it? Um, I, I worked with teenagers for a lot of years. I was a youth pastor for a number of years. Um, and there's a lot of great things about working with teenagers. There's a lot of funny things about working with teenagers. Um, love and relationships is always one that is funny. Um, you know, hearing students come to youth group and talking about their new boyfriend or girlfriend and how awesome they are and how much they're in love and, you know, they've known each other for three weeks and, um, you know, you, you don't ever want to crush dreams and destroy little, you know, sensitive hearts, but, um, but in the back of your mind you think, you know, you just don't, you don't know, like you don't even know the person yet. What, part of what creates intimacy is a deeper knowledge and understanding. Going beyond just facts. But really getting to know someone. And the longer you're with someone, the more you get to know who they really are, as opposed to just who they present themselves to be. That's where intimacy comes from. For us to be intimately connected with the creator of the universe... The God who intricately wove us together, who knows our inmost being, the God who died for us. For for us to move our relationship to a new level, we've got to get to know Him. Just knowing His name knowing a few quick, simple trivia facts about him. That's great for the first date. Hey, if this is the first time you've ever walked into church, this is deep today. Listen, if you can walk away just going, Jesus Christ is is God who loves me and died for me, that's, that's where you need to start. That's a great place to start. But as you've been a follower of God, as you've learned to worship Him more, it has to go beyond just facts. And we have to start to get to know Him. And in order to get to know Him, we have to know more about Him. So talking about the Trinity is vital to our worship If we really want to respond to the person of God, we've got to know who he is. If we want to live in his presence, then we have to understand the God whose presence we're in. We serve one God who eternally exists in three persons. And this is how God has revealed himself to be. We don't teach the doctrine of the Trinity because it's simple, straightforward, or easy to understand. We teach it because in the Bible, that is how God has chosen to reveal himself. That is how he has revealed himself to be. And for us to be faithful worshipers of him and to appropriately live in and respond to him, we have to know and understand 
the God we serve. Will you pray with me? God, today, the subject matter is deep and heavy. Some of us uh, love to think and to be challenged. And some of us, it makes us uncomfortable. God, we want to be worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. We want to be faithful to who you are and how you've revealed yourself to be. And I'll be the first to admit, among everyone else here, that, um, that there are many things about you that uh, are difficult to understand and to grasp. But would you help us to be faithful, help us to worship you appropriately, to talk about you rightly, to think accurately about you. I want you to keep your eyes closed for just a moment. We talk a lot in the Christian world, specifically in this church, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and that three days later, he rose from the dead. Those are all good things, but meaningless if Jesus Christ is not God. God chose to die for us because our sin had so separated us from Him. That there was a chasm that was too far to cross. And no sacrifice was going to be enough or worthy unless it were a perfect sacrifice. So God the Father sent God the Son to take on human form, to live a perfect life, and to die for us. And to prove that he wasn't just a good man, wasn't just a good teacher, wasn't just a martyr, he raised from the dead three days later. Because only God has power over sin and death. The Bible makes promises that for those who will trust and believe that the Father sent the Son, that the Son has died that through the, through the influence and power of the Spirit, the Son was, was enabled to perfectly carry out His mission here on earth. And for those that have believed that Jesus raised from the dead, 
the Bible promises us several things. One, that we'll be saved. That we'll be saved from the punishment of our sin because the God who created us has created a way for us to be reconciled back to Him. It also makes us a promise that as a guarantee, as a deposit, that that God will forgive us, has forgiven us and will save us, that we're given a, de- a deposit of the Holy Spirit, that our lives become a residence for the Holy Spirit, that the God of this universe is no longer distant somewhere else or a man from many centuries ago, but that the God of this universe lives in us. And the only reason that you and I are able to fulfill what the scriptures call us to, to understand what Jesus teaches, to put it into action, is because the Holy Spirit, God himself, lives in us. The doctrine of the Trinity is essential and foundational to the Christian life. It's essential for worshiping God. It's essential for living and following Him. And it's essential for us to be reconciled back to Him. Don't allow your Christian life to just be in a downhill coast where you never have to be challenged. You never have to think You never have to be confronted. Commit to living your Christian life to its fullest. And that means in every way, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, we're going to be challenged and pushed. Embrace it. And know that on the other side means a more intimate knowledge and relationship with our Creator. Lord, thank you for this time. Would you continue to move? Would you continue to speak? As we respond to you in song, would you uh, inflame our hearts and inform our minds and move us to be so grateful at who you are?